Well, good morning, and uh, glad you're here today. Take your Bibles with me uh, at this time, and let's turn to John chapter 19, if you will. John chapter 19. I'm going to have to sacrifice seeing you to see this. And if I don't see this, then I don't need to see you. So uh, it's, it's, I'm in that terrible stage where I can't see anything anywhere. I mean, so we'll get that fixed one of these days. Well, let's all stand together. We're going to get right into the message because those of you who know me know I talk long and I'm sure everybody wants to get home before one. So let's um, turn to John chapter 19 together and I'll read verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel of vinegar, um, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together around your word this morning. I pray that you would instruct us, that you would strengthen us, that you would challenge us today to live our lives to your glory, to live our lives in the righteousness which we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, just to love one another and befriend one another as you've commanded us to do. Thank you for this time we have. Blessed in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We see in verse number 30, Jesus stated, it is finished. Of the four synoptic gospels, John is the only one to note this specific saying of Jesus from the cross. Mark, in a general sense, state that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Luke, too, states that Jesus cried out, but only John reports the words of Jesus at this moment. It is finished. Now, I think that we would all agree that in this proclamation, Jesus is declaring to the Father that he has now completed the works that he came to accomplish. It is done, is what he is saying. But I want us to consider for a moment all that this encompasses. It doesn't just encompass his death on the cross, but it also encompasses his incarnation at Bethlehem, his holy nature assumed in flesh, his perfect obedience accomplished, his holy ministry was fulfilled, the preaching of the gospel to the poor and, and, and the working of miracles throughout his, his ministry. It encompasses his suffering shame and reproach and death, the penalty of death endured, the payment of sin made in full, full atonement and full satisfaction were meted, complete pardon procured, Peace and redemption were gained. All prophecies were fulfilled. All enemies were finally and completely conquered. Jesus, on numerous occasions, declared that he came to earth to do the Father's will. Yet we pass over this statement from Christ on the cross and often fail to recognize its full context, erroneously assuming that the full intent of this statement is centered in man's salvation. But I must assert that this philosophy is the shallow end of the swimming pool. Certainly, Christ's death on the cross is the focal point of man's redemption. For without this sacrifice by Jesus, we would have no hope. We would have no hope of redemption. 
However, there is so much more to Jesus' statement on the cross than just man's salvation. So with the time I have this morning, I would like us to consider the depth contained in this proclamation. And further than this, I would like to challenge each of us uh, this morning to live our life with the same determination that Jesus had, the determination to be able to say at the end of our life, as Jesus did, in John chapter 17 and verse 4, he states, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. But with man, can this be accomplished? Can we make the statement as Jesus did? I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Well, remember Paul's declaration in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verses 6 and 7 when Paul states, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So given this statement by Paul, I know that all of us can indeed accomplish this task of finishing our course, finishing the work that God has called us to do. So Jesus stated, it is finished. So what is the it of John chapter 30? Well, there are so many directions to go with this. But with the time restraints I have, I I thought it best to focus on three different points that are each applicable to all of us. So number one this morning, it is finished, I believe, encompasses the satisfaction of God's will. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus states, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now certainly we all understand that Jesus was in every sense God in the flesh. Yet he laid aside his deity and he became man that he might fulfill God's will. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me please and turn. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and we'll read verses 5 through 11. Jesus came to earth and he laid aside his deity and he lived as you and I must live. He lived in human flesh. He did not have a sinful nature, but he lived in human flesh. He laid aside his power and he lived through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same way you and I must do today. So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see here in this passage of Scripture the attitude of Christ, the mind that Christ possessed while here on earth in his human form. And these 
are indeed applicable to each of us. Notice, if you will, the submission of Christ. He thought, him, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with the Father. He indeed was, is God, and in every manner had all of the attributes of God, yet he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He made himself, the Bible says, of no reputation. He bore the shame of human flesh. He humbled himself in the sight of man and in the sight of the Father. He became obedient under the will of the Father, even when it meant his death on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus completely submitted to the will of God. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, we read, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Again, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 42, we read, He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Here we can see that Christ dwelling in and dwelling with the flesh of man did not rebel against the will of God. Jesus reminded Peter after Peter cut the servant's ear off. He said, put away thy sword, Peter. Don't you realize I could call unto the Father and more than 12 legions of angels would be sent to my side? Jesus could have opted out of this, but he didn't do so because he was submitting to the will of the Father. Even though his human nature was reluctant to endure the sorrows and the suffering of such a horrible death, remember, Jesus did have flesh. And the nature of that flesh is for self-preservation. And, and certainly, I would say he, he was troubled at the suffering and the, the degree of agony he would face. But yet, as Christ the mediator, he fully embraced the task before him. For it was this purpose that he came down from heaven. He reminds us in John chapter 12 and verse 27 where he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. And despite all the shame, Jesus took pleasure in accomplishing this work and will of the Father. Now I know what many are thinking right now. Many are thinking, well, of course he could do all of that because he was God. He was able to endure the suffering. He was able to endure the shame. He, he was able to face death with such confidence because he was God. But I'm just a man. But let me remind you what Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 and verse 12, where he states, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. So Jesus tells us here that our ability to do the works that God has called us to do is not limited by our flesh. 
Jesus said, we will do greater works than he has done because he goes to the Father to intercede on our behalf. Now listen to me closely. Jesus did all the work he did while he was clothed in flesh. He, in his incarnate form, remained God in every sense of the word. Yet, he laid aside his divinity and worked through the Holy Spirit. It is certain that you and I could never so completely work in perfect righteousness as Jesus did. But he did all that he did so that we could also complete the works to which God has called us to do. And we too can accomplish these works through the power and through the leading of the Holy Spirit. God has a certain will for all of us here this morning. The only real question is, will you satisfy that will? Jesus said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Paul stated to Timothy, I have finished my course. Now let me ask you, how will you be able to complete that statement when the time comes? Will you be able to say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Or will you have to stand there and say, I could have done so much more. Each of us today are called to satisfy the will of God in our lives, just as Jesus did when he cried, it is finished. He said, Father, I have satisfied your will for me. So Christian today, do not settle for less than satisfying God's will in your life. But then secondly, I want us to consider this morning the, the statement of it is finished to mean that Jesus is saying, I have finished the fulfillment of God's purpose. Now, at first, it may seem that God's will and God's purpose are one and the same. But there is a difference. It's a very subtle difference. But there is a difference between God's will and God's purpose. The will of God is his sovereign choice. A pastor's call to the ministry is the result of the will of God. Our election unto salvation is the result of the will of God. So, so God's will is his sovereign choice. However, the purpose of God is the intention in his will. In other words, a pastor is chosen to preach, teach, admonish, edify. So when God calls a pastor, there's a purpose in that call. The calling is his sovereign choice. The purpose is for him to preach, for him to teach, for him to admonish, for him to counsel, for him to edify, for him to correct. We are chosen as God's elect by his sovereign choice. By, by, by his will. However, we are called in order that we might glorify and honor God the Father. So there is a difference between God's will and God's purpose. It was God's will that Jesus should suffer and die on the cross. That's his sovereign choice. 
And there were very specific purposes in this. And this list is not exhaustive, but things such as the chastisement of human flesh. Jesus bore the suffering in the flesh, in his flesh. And, and this was a purpose of God. A, a purposes such as the victory over death. The victory over Satan. Purposes such as the imputation of his grace unto God's elect. Purposes such as the distribution of his mercy. And such as the vindication of his justice. And there are so many more, as I said. Now, allow me to attempt to apply this to you and I this morning. We have been chosen, elect, according to God's will. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, we read, Elect according to the foreknowledge of the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have been saved by no merit of our own, not according to to our own works. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. The faith is not our own faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're, we understand that we're saved by God's grace. We're given faith to believe by God himself. It's a gift that God gives to his elect children to hear and believe. That's, that's his will. However, we have been called for a purpose. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. As I stated just a few moments ago, God had a purpose in Jesus' death on the cross. And I submit to you this morning that God also has a purpose for you and for me. He has purposes for you and he has purposes for me. And these purposes may not necessarily be the same. He may have, he may have some things he wants you to do that he doesn't want me to do. And he has things he wants me to do that he may not necessarily want you to do. However, he does have what I will call, just for the sake of, of giving it a name, corporate purposes by corporate purposes I mean things that we all have in common that we are to fulfill according to God's will and it is these that I'll focus on for the next few moments first corporate purpose would be to worship the father we are all called to worship the father this is a purpose for every believer to worship the father in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 we state for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh in John chapter 4 and verse 23 we read but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him so we're all called we all, we all live with the purpose of worshiping the Father. Now, allow me to get personal for a moment. How can we say this morning that we are here in worshiping God when our heart is not in what we are doing? Often, as, as the song leader, I stand up here and I look out at the crowd during, during the song service, and I can just see people's heart is not in what they're doing. They're not, their heart isn't in singing. They're just not... 
maybe, I don't know, maybe you've got problems and maybe there's something wrong, but, you know, we, sometimes we just stand there and, and our mind, it, it's going somewhere else. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 100. We're not coming back to John, so you don't have to worry about hanging on to that. Let's go to Psalm 100. We read here in Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. You know, sometimes I think we get into a rut. We get into a routine, and and we know we need to go to church on Sunday, so we get up and we get dressed, and that's what we do. We come to church. But once we get here, it's like, okay, I fulfilled my duty. So now I'm just going to tune out, and I'm going to just sit here. But we're to be an active participant in the worship service. We're to sing, and and, and sing joyfully, and sing eagerly, and, and pay attention to the words and the message in the songs. When it's time to sing, sing with all your heart. When it's time to give our tithes and offerings, give it cheerfully. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, we read, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't grudgingly give to the Lord. What an opportunity. What a great privilege it is to have to give to God. And not just your money, by the way, but yourself, your talents, your time. So many things go undone in the local church because the, the people out there in the pew are the ones that God has given the gift to do these things, and we just sit on them. So we're to give. We're to, we're to give of ourselves. We're to give of our talents. We're to give of, and by talents, I don't mean money. I, I mean by the things we're able to do. If, you know what? Summertime. That's, that's the biggest excuse in the world for doing nothing. It's summer, so I'm not going to do anything. You know, we've still got quite a few seats here in the choir. Go talk to Brother Moley and find out what you need to do in order to be in the choir. If God has given you the ability to sing, use it. Some of you in this room have the ability to teach. As I mentioned Wednesday night, we have needs for ministry here. College and career ministry, Hispanic ministries, Korean ministries. Some of you have the ability to do these things, but you're just sitting there. God has a purpose. He's given you a talent. He wants you to use it. I got to go. I could stay here forever. When it's time to, to give to God, give. And give it, give, give cheerfully and wholeheartedly. When the word is preached, receive it with joy. Peter states in 2 Peter 1.19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And God has given us preaching to encourage us, to lift us, to challenge us, to stir us. And we're to continue in that until Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, we don't need preaching anymore. But until he does, we do. And, and when the word is preached, receive it with joy. You know what? If a preacher says something and it gets you mad, don't get mad at the preacher. Get mad at yourself. 
Because the Holy Spirit is just convicting you of the things in your life. If, if, if you get convicted during a preaching service, you better get that right with God. Because he's only going to warn you so many times. When the word is preached, receive it with joy. If we have a true spirit of worship for God, we will forgive those around us. We will respect those around us. We will love those around us. And we will fellowship with those around us. Remember, we've been commanded to love one another. And as I've said many times, you don't have to like someone to love them. You're not commanded to like them. Jesus didn't say, like one another. He said, love one another. And, and, and when you love someone, you, you forgive, you respect, and you, you treat them with dignity. Don't deceive yourself. If we fail in these areas, if, as we sit in these pews, if we fail in these areas, and don't get mad at me, receive it with joy. As we sit in these pews, if we fail in these areas, we're not truly worshiping God. We're going through the motions. It is God's purpose for us to worship the Father, but then also it's God's purpose for us to walk in the light. To walk in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, John states, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. You see that? If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, John said. If we truly are in fellowship with God, we will not walk in the works of darkness. We will not walk in sin. We will not go places we shouldn't go. We will not say things we shouldn't say. We will not do things we shouldn't do. If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. That's pretty strong words. But that's the truth. It is God's purpose that his children live in the light, not in the dark. John said, how can we claim to be in fellowship with Christ if we live in darkness? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists the works of the flesh. He says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the works of darkness. If we are involved in these things, we cannot claim to have fellowship with Jesus. It is our purpose, it is God's purpose that his children walk different than the world, that we live apart from the world, that we walk in the light. This morning, if any of the works of darkness or this world are in your life, then confess to God and make a decision to change today. If you are a true child of God, you will never be happy until you do so. And then next, it is God's purpose for us to witness of Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, 
verses 18 through 20, we read, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It is the responsibility of every child of God to be a witness for Christ. This is not a calling just to the pastor or just to the deacons. This is a calling to every member, every child of God, to go into the world with the intention of giving the gospel to those around you. We are to be actively preaching the gospel, not just to those that we casually meet, but seeking the lost, looking for the opportunities to to give the gospel. This is God's purpose for you and I today and every day. There is never a wrong person to approach with the gospel. And then, lastly, it is God's purpose to watch for his return. Why does God desire that we would watch for his return? Well, in Luke chapter 12, we read, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Living with a constant awareness of the imminent coming of Christ will help keep you focused and alert on the things of God. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And I've said it many times in preaching, that word circumspectly is a military term. It, it has the connotation of, of, of watching and being careful for every step you take. Soldiers don't walk through a battlefield just, just not paying attention to what's going on. They, they watch every step. Why? Because there are mines out there. There are booby traps out there. Things that can destroy them. And you and I are to be watchful. We're to be alert. We're, we're, to, we're, to, we're to be watchful for the return of Christ and actively watching our behavior in our life, knowing that at any moment Christ could come. And when he comes, we do not want him to find us walking in darkness, rather in light. So God has a, has a purpose. Jesus on the cross is saying, the, the it of the cross is the satisfaction of God's will. It's the fulfillment of God's purpose. And then thirdly, the glorification of the Father. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, I believe he was also declaring that God's will and word have been done and that he, God, is worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. Certainly no one could argue that Jesus failed to glorify the Father. But again, I must ask the same question of you and I today. Does our life Glorify the Father this morning. Only you can answer that question concerning yourself. Does your life glorify the Father? 
Do your actions glorify God as they are observed by those around you? When people, when people around you observe your behavior, does, does your behavior glorify God? Does your speech glorify the Lord before those that hear you? Let me remind you that Paul admonished Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 where he states, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In all these ways, Paul says, you're to be an example, Timothy. You're to be an example in your speech. You're to be an example in your lifestyle. You're to be an example in your love. You're to be an example in your, in your spirit. You're to be an example in the faith that you exhibit. You're to be an example in your pure life. It is an ignorant, that's a hard word, but I couldn't think of a softer one. It is an ignorant and selfish Christian who demands his freedom from compliance to God and his word. Any Christian who would refuse to, to comply with God's expectations as found in his word is a fool. And he's ignorant. He's ignorant of truth. Paul states that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, where he says, what? No, our English, new English word would be, duh. <laughs> know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't have a choice. We belong to God, and we're to obey him, and we're to do what he tells us to do. Now, let me allow the word of God to speak to you in this matter. In Proverbs chapter 22, Solomon tells us, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. When a believer fails to submit to the authority of God in their life, to dictate to them the way in which they live, this is proof that they are simply a child concerning spiritual things. You know, children don't have to be taught certain things. I mean, by nature, they do certain things. Foolishness. And, Paul, and, and Solomon said foolishness is bound. It's, it, it's there in the heart of a child, but you have to, the correction drives it from it. Paul spoke of this also. But Paul tells us that we are not to remain spiritual children. We're to grow up and put away childish behaviors. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11, we read, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So stop behaving like a spoiled little child and accept and comply with the expectations and responsibilities we have as God's mature saints. And in so doing, we bring glory and honor to the name of God. Jesus was able to say, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Paul was able to say, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What about you this morning? Will you be able to stand before God and make such a statement?
If your answer is no, I won't be able to, then don't leave this place today without asking God to help you make the changes in your life that need to be made so that one day you will be able to stand before God and say, it is finished. Let us pray. Father, we come before you as mere flesh. We come before you as, as those that have not the, the wisdom or understanding to do all the things you purpose for us to do. But thankfully, Father, we don't need to rely on our flesh. We don't need to rely on our understanding. Thankfully, this morning, as your children, we are possessed with the Holy Spirit who can indeed instruct us and teach us and remind us of all things. You've empowered us. You've given us the ability. You've given us the empowerment to live righteous. Therefore, Father, I pray that you would strengthen each of your children today, that you would help us, Father, that you would help us, so that one day we could indeed stand and say, Father, I've done all that you've called me to do. Thank you for all those that are here. I pray you'd you'd bless each. I pray that the word preached today would would have been profitable to your saints. Thank you for this time. And we ask that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen.